Welcome back, everyone, to another edition of the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all the other players at the table. I'm one of your hosts, Dungeon Master Chris. And I'm Dungeon Master Mitch. And if we sound a lot better today, that's because we got new equipment to make us sound way so better beautiful. than in the past. Yeah. They're awesome. We got two new mics that we're recording from this week and will be in the future, so... If this makes your ears feel just so great after this episode, you will get to hear it basically forevermore, I think. Thank we, you to all yeah, our thank dragons. thank you to all of our, our Patreon dragons out there that donated to us so that we could have the best audio quality possible for our podcast. This week, we're going to be talking about world building. More specifically than world building, we're going to be talking about how to build towns and cities and make them more than just a bland, you're in a city, you have to make up an inn on the fly, which... Is okay, but when you create the guts of a city, your players really can get way more immersed into the city and have a lot more fun on their their campaign nights than just simply, all right, you stay at an inn, and that's all you've got. That's all you've got for your world, which there's, if that's what you have, that's a great start. But we're, I think we're going to show you a few things that can help you flush out a few more details about whatever city you're staying in with your players for that night. It can be things like museums and guilds and... You know, just a bunch of different things that can have and can add a little bit more backstory to your characters, a little bit more fun throughout your night. So uh, stay tuned. That's going to be in our meat section. But first, we are going to head into some shout outs. Uh, our first one comes from Scraps the Kabold. It's from the UK. It says, Total Awesomeness, five stars. It says, Hey guys, this podcast was a great find as a new DM. It has helped me come up with great ideas and awe inspiring my world so my group can explore and have many adventures in. I just want to say thank you and keep up the great work. So thank you, Scraps the Kabold. Kabolds are stinking awesome. I use them all the time. Thank you very much. Thank you for your five-star review. The next review comes from Don't Eat Raw Haggis. Don't do it. (laughs) Don't do it. it. And it's entitled, They Followed Me Home and I Couldn't Say No. Don't Eat Raw Haggis says, How could I have possibly realized that after these guys followed me on Twitter that I would become addicted to their show? I've listened to other D&D podcasts, but none of them covered dungeon mastering as well as these two guys. My favorite topics are how to deal with problem players and creative ideas to use for inspiration. Thank you so much, Don't Eat Raw Haggis. Yeah, thank you. That was a great review. We will heed your warning. Yeah, we will not (laughs) eat raw haggis, we promise. (laughs) All right, with that, let's head to story time. Story time. Story time. The time during the episode where we talk about what happened last week during our campaigns, our favorite moments where we learned about ourselves and what we learned about each other. Please join us now as we enjoy Storytime. All right, so for Storytime, Chris, we played your campaign, uh, and we had a very different type of adventure than we ever had. And it was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, I think you had a lot the most fun. Out of yeah, I, I had a moment that I've never had in D&D as a player, and I thought it was the coolest thing ever. <laughs> um, so we, we started off the night with a big battle at the docks in the city of Milner. Well, first you got back, and there was a heck of a lot of crafting, and that went yeah, on. Yeah, yeah but we won't talk about We won't That's bore boring. you with all the crafting. <laughs> so uh, we got 32 we, days worth. This, oh, my gosh. Crafters, <laughs> that we cut short. <laughs> crafters drive me crazy. <laughs> on purpose. <laughs> Wasn't me. Um, anyway, so... Uh, we had this big battle, and there were these Lokatha, these aquatic, almost Shahugan, yep. uh, Kuatoa-type creatures that were attacking the dock area and just jumping on the docks and killing 
town's guards and people. And so we rushed down there. I enlarged myself. I enlarged my horse. I started running around. Like, yeah. Which the mini we had to use yeah. was you sitting on the back of a dragon. Because yep. <laughs> we don't have a giant, don't horse. Have a giant <laughs> horse to use. Um, and so everyone else in the battle, we're all fighting. And the battle is a pretty tough battle because these Lokatha had poison darts that yeah. uh, brought our strength down. Yeah. Um, and s- then sea hags popped out. And they yeah, they had like urchin. They had urchin poison on them. But yeah. because we're awesome, we beat them. Uh, you're, we well, you're lucky that the sea hags <laughs> ran out of their daily evil well, eye spell. <laughs> yeah. no, they're spellcasters. They gotta run out of yeah, them. Yeah. But they totally, we totally kicked their butts. <laughs> and then I think I was the only one who saw it. Yeah, I was the only one who saw it. Yeah. My character yeah, rolled spot check. Everybody else failed it. And I saw like a dragon out in the ocean. Yeah, you like, saw like kind of like the top, head. almost like a crocodile. You would see a crocodile yeah. in the water. You saw like the head popping out of the water. <laughs> Which my old character died. Yeah, and you didn't re- you forgot about that. Yeah, so you're like, oh, Mitch is gonna know what's going on, and yeah. I'm like, well, I do, but my character doesn't. Yeah. So I just yell, I'm like, Kraken, because yeah. I've never seen. A well, because you've before. seen you've seen this type of dragon before. I was like, Mitch, you totally like you would know it's. I was like, wait a minute, you don't. I haven't seen because it. your old buffalo can brand. Not seen them, yeah, yep. your old buffalo can brand got burnt to a crisp. Yep. And doesn't know <laughs> what this dragon looks like anymore. So yeah, uh, I I like yell Kraken. There's a, some debate. I describe it, and they're like, "Oh, it's a it's a black dragon." Yep. And Dale's with us, and so we're like, "We got to go chase after it." It just went down and disappeared. And so Jeff, the gnome buddy, who's the Dale's buddy. Dale the dragon's brother, so yep. we know he's a dragon as yep. well. You don't know what type of dragon. Nope. Yep. Jumped in. We'll talk about that. Yep. Jumped into the water uh, and was like, and he has the stone mask. He doesn't talk, so he talks through the stone mask. He, we kept the mask. It was actually this pretty cool. Like I was like, that's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> so the stone mask is de- telling us, I'm chasing after them while he is actually chasing yeah, after them. Yeah, he's chasing like, after them. He can, away. like, part of what he is, and I'll talk about this in a minute, doesn't allow him to talk in the normal language so he had to come up with some magical ways to yeah. to talk and so he talks through the stone mask and my brother's character was hanging on to it and he's like describing what's going on while he's chasing him and he says follow me out into the water that way i don't have you know i don't have to come back so, as far to yeah. come and so get you we needed to prepare because we don't breathe underwater so yep. we went and got some stuff from the potions master uh i kind of intimidated him to give it to us really the nice cheap. one that caleb's guy ernie had just bought a whole yeah. bunch of stuff from and had really good terms rob with. is not yeah. the most patient yeah. uh so but it worked so i intimidated him got got some cheap potions out of him he basically said, I just need to make my money back yeah. off of him. <laughs> and we rushed off. We found uh, a ship. Well, you didn't find a ship. No, but it was the return of the dwarf <laughs> <laughs> from from previous If you've uh, listened episodes. to the episode, Mitch absolutely hates this dwarf character. <laughs> this senile old dwarf who I talked to forever as Bran acted like he had a ship and then was like, I don't have a ship. Where are we going? We were fighting octopuses. He's there. He's got a ship. Yeah, he's like, hey, I got a ship yeah. for you. Let's we go. We jump on the ship. We go. Uh, we're really rushing because one thing I didn't mention is the rest of the group who knows what's going on with these this dragon war uh, is thinking maybe this is the big bad right. Abenor because right. she's a black dragon. She's a black dragon. Yep. Uh, so we rush off. We there was realize- one moment where you're like, are we fighting the big bad guy right yeah. now? Like, is your campaign going to end tonight? Yeah. I was like, no, no. I didn't think it was going to end tonight, yeah. but I was like, I was like, we were thinking, what's so? What's after this? Like, yeah. kind of, you know. Uh, but anyway, so we jump on the ship. We go. The dwarf mentions this is not his ship. Yeah. It's the well, other dwarf you guys ship that we went on before. The Black Moon bunch, Marauders. A yeah. bunch of dwarf like they were mercenaries. mercenaries. Yeah. And now we're like, great, you stole. He basically like is like, hey, dwarf. I got this ship, <laughs> yeah. and it really wasn't his at all. <laughs> and you guys are saying, I don't know what's wrong with this yeah. guy. He's 
He's lonely. Yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> he should. He can go to jail. He won't be lonely there right, anymore. Right. Um, <laughs> so uh, we jump on the ship. We go. Uh, eventually, we reach this point where Jeff finally pops up from the water. He's a dragon turtle. <laughs> yep, he's a dragon <laughs> which turtle. ensued many jokes about like, oh, so this is Dale's brother who's a dragon turtle. Well. You know what that means, Dale? Either your mom or your dad messed around with a turtle at some point. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> Jeff pops up. He's a dragon turtle. We jump on his back, and we go down to this underwater cavern with him and Dale. Dale transforms into hum- in human. He All of us take this potion so we can breathe underwater. And we go down to this cavern, and you had like this puzzle system of caverns that uh, current was going different ways. So if we did it wrong... We might pop out at the beginning again. Yeah, in the same room that so, you were just in. So I kind of like would set up like little stone markings on the ground so we could kind of remember things. They had like smiley face and yeah. check mark and sad face. Eventually and- we got through. We came across this black dragon. We realized it's not Ebonor, mm-hmm. but still an evil black dragon yep. who just declared war on the city of Mjolnir. Starting to figure out, you know, you guys have been in the same city for a while, so they might be getting close to where you guys are hiding out because you're basically wanted men by these evil dragons. So we need to, we're like, all right, time to take this guy down. So shout out to Richard Howard. You had a big underwater battle. Well, and I've been talking with Rich about this for a while. So he's like, when is it going to come out? When's your story going to come out? And So not only was this underwater battle, but this was an underwater battle in which we were fighting a black dragon underwater, (laughs) underwater. And we argued with you for a good 10 minutes that we're like, cause you're like, we're like, doesn't Dale transform into a dragon? You're like, no, he's not an underwater dragon. We're like, yeah, but no, he's not but an I underwater looked it up. human, right? He actually right? is. An, he can, he can <laughs> yeah. go underwater. And yeah. we like argue. We're like, we're like, he would still turn into a dragon. Come on, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> and, he, well, and, and you're, like, you're like thinking logically. You're like, uh, yeah, maybe that's the case. And we're like, we convinced you. And then you looked it well, up. Well, because Caleb, like, was, like, Caleb yes. was like, either way, we touched him with an underwater breathing potion. <laughs> Even if he transforms, he could probably still do he's it. He's still got huge claws. Yeah. So Sharp fangs. So we were fighting a black dragon with a gold dragon next to us, and we were riding on the back of a dragon turtle. Yep. Because <laughs> the cavern was big enough for you guys to finally, like, So, yeah, of course, I'm. we are on the back of a charging dragon turtle. Of course, I pull out my lance. Oh, yeah. And I had a moment I've never had before in D&D. I got to joust a black dragon 250, what'd you say? 250 feet below feet the ocean below floor. Below the yeah. ocean floor on the back of a charging dragon turtle. Probably will never have. I don't it know again. if many people can that say that they've had awesome. that moment. <laughs> uh, I, I tweeted about it immediately. Yeah. I'm like, this is awesome. Yeah. And we we fought in this huge battle. Everybody is kind of nerfed. I'm trying to look up like, can I use spells underwater? We're like, we we had this big like underwater like yeah, because you guys, you where guys we're at one to point figure out time. how rules work underwater. I figured out I could use spells, but I had to roll like spellcraft checks yeah. and things like that. And it was it was a pretty crazy. Yeah, battle. you guys had a moment where it was like. This battle is going to be pretty easy, and then you guys all started thinking about like the rules of underwater battle. It's <laughs> yeah, like, like, oh uh, crap! Martin's a ranger, yeah. so so arrows out. aren't going to hit <laughs> yeah. as much. Um, and and he could shoot arrows, but it was he like could. it was like it was every like, five feet it took a negative. Yeah, it was, yeah. Everybody got a really terrible and like, like nerve Ma- to Mark's them. character cracks. He's like, well, I can't really. S- I have nothing to foot myself on. I'm floating in the water. I can't really slash with my sword and do a whole lot. <laughs> they had to take uh, off their plate mail, yep. put on like really light armor. Yep, so like, that they wouldn't just it was, sink. It yeah. was nerf 
it nerfed us like crazy and we're like if we're fighting a black dragon well it's a good thing we got a dragon turtle and another dragon next yeah, to us because yeah. otherwise there's no way yeah if you guys would have gone we down die just with the four a baby of you dragon. yeah you would not have you would not have done very well so uh, eventually though the four of us and our dragon buddies we beat this black dragon and that's then we just started heading back and I've got a plan in my head, some way to yeah, hopefully you, get us out of this mess of we just stole a ship. Yeah, <laughs> because of the yeah, stupid you, dwarf. You, I remember you that said it some again. Yeah, like, you said leave us alone, dwarf. Yeah, you said at one point in time, crap. Now we got to go back. Yeah, and then I think we ended with you saying, "I have a plan," and everybody was like, "Okay, <laughs> yep. sounds good." Now I just got to remember was, what that plan was. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that was that was a great night. I've yeah, never so you I've never you had a moment. Where I don't think anybody else can really say they've ever jousted a black dragon on the back of a sweet. dragon turtle. A lot of good memories in that that night. So. Yep. So yeah, that was our night with your last campaign. It was a great one. Yep. Anyway, let's head to the meet. Starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meat? Starving that. Just a mouthful. All right, Chris, so for today, for the meet, we are going to be talking about creating towns and cities for your campaign world. So so we're talking about, like, if you are a DM and you're creating your own world, like, how do you go about when you reach a point where you're like, all right, I've I've created my countries, whatever. Uh, Now I have different cities I want to lay out in my countries. How do you go about naming them, building a culture, everything about a city, buildings, everything? So we're going to kind of explore different parts of city and town building as we go along. So the first thing, where do we start when we're building a city is, I think the first place to start is coming up with a name. Yeah, names, names can be a pretty big factor into whether characters find a city appealing or not i think especially if you're going to be spending a large amount of time in them yeah they could definitely make or break uh, a city oh yeah yeah (laughs) so you want to work on your names one of the good things about names is you can take a lot of inspiration from actual cities and towns that are current cities or cities of old uh, whatever it is and just look at old names of cities i think even too if you were to go and look at maps in other languages i don't know take german or french or something like that if you were to take a german or french map the names that we give the cities in English are much different than what they actually give them in that language. And so if you were to look at those maps and take inspiration from what they have written down, you might be able to come up with some pretty sweet names that way. Exactly. And like that's a good point too is like different languages and different cultures are going to have probably different names for cities. Oh, yeah. Like a desert land in your world will probably have a different sounding name to its cities and settlements than a land that's lush like Ireland. Yeah, or an island country or something like that, yeah. Exactly. Yep. So uh, you can look into actual cities, past or present. You can also, one thing that I've done is look at, like you said, languages and like, well, you want your city, if your city is by a waterfall, look up different languages of how they say waterfall. Yeah. And we're talking real languages. We're talking D&D languages, fantasy languages. World of Warcraft, whatever you want for You could name a elven city that's built into a waterfall, the elven word for waterfall. Check it out. See if that's a name that you're like, okay, that, that, that does sound good and name that city that. 
So there's different names for towns, and there's common endings for a lot of towns, whether it's in fantasy worlds or in the real world. We're going to give a, a list. Quite a, it's it's a little bit of a long yeah, list. Yeah, it's a little uh, bit got, long. But, you know, we're giving you guys material, so bear with us. Yeah, they're, they're pretty common names that you would find at the endings of yep. most cities. And yeah. then we'll just give a couple examples of how you could use these endings. So, Chris, we'll go one and one. Yep. Uh, so endings for a town name. So you're going to put one thing in front of this, and then you end it with this. Or however many you want. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. So uh, ending starting with ton. Or possibly dale. Town. City. Field. Pool. Coast. End. Ham. Ville. Bridge. Den. Which. So some of those, let's pull out a couple. We had town is pretty self-explanatory if it's a town, but there's Lake Town from The Hobbit. In my world, there's a place called Golden Bridge. Oh, yeah. I was going to say. Golden Bridge. I have one called West Bridge in West one of my. Bridge, that that is like one of the main areas in a small, shallow area crossing over one of the the wider rivers. You could have a city that's high up in the mountains and therefore close to the sun, and maybe it's called Bright Den. Yep. Barrington. Bartham. Okay, so let's talk about uh, population and size of your town and city, because that's something you want to think about when you're creating a town or a city. And we keep saying town or cities, but there are different names to the specific population and size. In 3.5 edition DMG, there's a good breakdown of population size and what each city would actually be named. And it also talks about how much money the most wealthy person in that city would have and limitations on that. So it's just a good little chart for if you would like to look into that and just see what the chart is. We'll go over a little bit of what it is. So if you look at this table, basically it's talking about if you want to create towns and cities randomly, you can roll a percentile dice and whatever population it lands on, that's what the population of this town will be. So maybe even if your players are going to a town or city and you haven't decided yet how big it is, just roll and take it from this chart and go from there. Uh, but we'll kind of go up just the population and what that size town would be called if you are really interested in this kind of thing. So a population of 20 to 80 people, that town size would be called a Thorpe. The population size of 81 to 400 is called a Hamlet. 400 to 900 would be called a village. 901 to 2,000 is a small town. 2,000 to 5,000 is a large town. 5,001 to 12,000 is a small city. 12,000 to 25,000 would be a large city. And anything over that, 25,001 or more, would be called a metropolis. Yeah, I think this is really actually quite interesting because I think most places in my world before that I've described as a village would more be in that Thorpe aspect. I thought like really small, but, right. but like a village is actually pretty decently big 400 yeah. to 900 people in a village so uh this just kind of gives you a good idea of just the actual breakdown of population size and what that town is described yeah. as. and once again you can get as specific as you want or i mean you could just say that that still is a village for sake of i don't know if any of your players are going to be like oh well is this a thorpe or is this a hamlet yeah. well <laughs> you could probably just be like well this is a village but if you want to get if that your player pulls out his 3.5 dmg yeah right right <laughs> says, shoot well. him shoot him first of all yeah, you're like, give me that. yeah That's right not yours to look <laughs> right <at. laughs> but yeah you you could i mean you could once again get as as specific as you want or be as 
you know vague as you want with these types of things. Yeah, it just helps to give an idea right. of population size because you do want to think about that when you're creating because that we'll talk about a little bit more. But population size, size of a town or a city, that's going to impact the culture of what oh, yeah. that city is yeah. like. We'll talk Very about so. that more. Let's talk about characteristics of a city. What characteristics can go into making a city different from every other city that you encounter? Because I remember playing Assassin's Creed One. And it turned me off against the whole series. I've heard great things about the series, but I can't even pick up another one of those games because Assassin's Creed 1, every city was the same. It was so It was monotonous. the same in I 2 could not for the most part it. as well. Yeah, it was like, oh, you're in Rome, you're in Venice, you're in all these. They look exactly the same. Everybody's exactly the same. In D&D, you don't want to be going to city to city and like your players are like, oh, I know exactly what the layout's going to be. Right, uh, right. It's like, you, like you said earlier in the episode, it's got an inn. It's got a blacksmith. It's got a this. It's got a that. It's got a stable. You want to yeah, add. Whatever. You want to add different aspects to each city and like give each city a different kind. Yeah, of each feel. city should have something, whether it be big or small, have something that's unique to it, that's specifically to that city. Yeah. So the first thing, I mean, as far as characteristics, we talked about this a little bit, but where you are in the world is definitely going to determine what your world looks like. Or what your city looks like, exactly. rather. I think in the desert, you're going to have possibly more... You wouldn't have necessarily the same bricks that were made as far as like in cities. You might not have stone that's as big as, as if you're in the mountains. You might find a lot of things made out of stone. In the desert, you might find more things made out of a concoction of sand and some type of adhesive. You might find wells will look differently. How you get water will look different. Might not have your cities have aqueducts in the cities. In regular cities, you might not have those in the desert. I mean, there's there's so many things dependent upon where you are in the world that's going to determine what your city has. Yeah, we're going to talk a lot about different characteristics of a city and where your city is in the world will determine a lot of that. Like the cultures are different in different aspects of the real world and they should be in a fantasy world as well oh, yeah. so where that city is in the world is a huge factor on what that city is like going along with that where is your city placed like is it on top of a mountain right is it underneath a mountain is it built on the edge of a waterfall is it built at the top of treetops in a jungle is it along like, a river is it, is is it, it along the coast yeah, all that all stuff of yeah. those are gonna also add different characteristics i mean if you're in a city high up in the treetops, like what's the easiest way to like it, for murderers to kill somebody in a city Roll like that? Off. Just drop them off the side. <laughs> yeah. Like you can't yeah. do that in like a town that's on the ground. Like right. there's, there's different aspects, little things that are gonna be like little characteristics that add just because of where your city is placed. So that's yeah. a huge aspect, not just of the country you're in, but just where that city is dropped down. Yeah, I think I think of like colder climates. You might have cities that are made entirely out of ice if it's yeah. cold enough for that, which would be really cool. That kind of gets to our next point, architecture. Which yeah. Going off of that first point, architecture a lot of the times is based off of necessity of where you're at. So yeah. like you said, if you're in a tundra, you might come across a city that's built completely out of ice. Oh, yeah. Uh, like the buildings are completely out of ice. In the Dark Bellows, when you guys went down to the Mykonen city, it oh, was yeah. built completely out, out of, of mushrooms. mushrooms. Yeah, like, they, yeah. yeah, they were mushrooms living inside of mushrooms. Mushroom architecture. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was like Toadville. Happened, the mushroom houses actually happened to be alive, which was scary really? for you guys. They, had, uh, um, they were Toadville. It was like <laughs> yeah, Toadville exactly. in the Dark Bellows. Yeah. Uh, but even beyond that, even in our own country, like I went out to California this past summer and they have to have different roofs there because the roofs are made of these different kind of shingles because it's too hot that they'll just start burning up if you had the 
the type of yeah the type of shingles, shingles we have here we in have Michigan. Here. Yeah, and, it's, and same thing out here. We have to have different kind of roofs out here with different slants because the snow is like it comes down so much, and so yep. it would cause problems. But different types of architecture. You can look up all different types of architecture from history to kind of give you an idea of like what you want different type of architecture to be in your fantasy worlds. A Roman type city is going to have like a Colosseum. It's going to they're going to use of a pillars. lot of pillars and stuff yep, like that. Temples yeah. are going to have that pillar yep. feel that maybe a lot of like open feeling where it's like just held up a roof with pillars so it's like you're actually got a breeze from the outside coming in and i think the biggest thing too when you're thinking through this architecture it's not it's not just simply for you as the dungeon master to say hey my city has really cool architecture here it's one of those things that anything you do as a dungeon master should be for the enjoyment of your characters so describing these types of things like describing you see these massive pillars or you see this huge coliseum in the middle of the city if you're going off of egyptian culture you see these pyramids or describe the things start to paint that mental picture for your characters because the minute that they walk into the city the architecture if it's not something they've seen before should be one of the first things they notice and that can set your player's mind ablaze with what's in this city and that's why it's sometimes good to use historical architecture yeah. and pulling oh, stuff yeah. like that and even when the first thing you say when you go into the city is this has got like a gothic style architecture got a lot of arches city. and stuff like and that and then yeah. you can just state that and then when they decide to go to the temple well you describe the gargoyles that are hanging yeah. up on the roof of this temple and you start to go come alive at night and fight crime exactly you start to <laughs> Uh, describe it as you go in further and further. You don't need to spend 15 minutes as you enter in the city lecturing them on the architecture of the Romans or whatever it is, but like give them that little like, uh, you know, this looks like this type of architecture. Here's the major points of this architecture to notice, yeah. So something else more than the architecture, and your architecture could very easily be incorporated into this too. You have to think about what do your cities have for protection. Each city size or village or hamlet or thorpe is going to have different type of defenses or possibly no defenses at all. You have to kind of determine, okay, at what point do cities start to have walls? What point do they have, if they're in a forest, do they use like hedges as walls? That could be something that's really interesting. But each city would have some sort of different protection. So you think through things like walls and gates. Bigger cities that have a lot of gold or have a lot of political power are more than likely going to have walls and gates that are pretty sturdy. Now, if you're going down the scale to something like a village where it's only 450 people, they might have like a wooden fence around the outside of it, if even that at all. And so walls and protection and gates are going to be something that you have to think through as a DM. Yeah, or they might, even if it's a, if it's a small village with just farms, well, they might have stone walls, but those walls are more probably to keep the animals right. in rather they might than only be a three foot tall. Out. Yeah, they <laughs> like, might be a three or four foot tall wall yeah. that's like, well, you could climb over this if yep. you needed to. Yeah. And with those gates, are there checkpoints? Like, how big is the city? Like, do they have some sort of identification that they check yeah. everybody going in? Like, how much is the security? Is we'll there talk a gate about and law then is there an inner gate later, and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. Like, these gates are a big point of if you're a rogue type character, these gates might be not the place that you want to go through because they yeah. might have checkpoints and things like that right are there secret entrances to the city that only the elite know like the the king maybe there's secret underground tunnels that are have been used for escape routes uh i think of helm's deep and they have that back way out of helm's deep yeah that they try and send the women and children through like when everything looks so bleak that can definitely be something part of the city that could also be really interesting for your pcs 
to find out about on certain quests. Well, especially if they need to like find out, it's like a last ditch effort and they need to find out about it. That could be really interesting too. I think of, you know, the classic, you see pictures of castles with the moat around them. Did they dig a moat around it? Is it are something there they crocodiles are there in crocodiles there? in the moat? Or if you're in a different area, are there like <laughs> you know you, you got a an ice castle in the tundra with dire narwhals? Oh yeah, <laughs> gosh, I have that narwhal song stuck in my head now. Uh, I, yeah, I mean you could do a whole bunch of different things. Did they did they divert water from a river to make the moat? Is it something that they just dig down far enough that it's just a they hit the water table and it's just a natural is moat it now? With is, water? It, is it just filled a with water? Is it water with has, in the ground? Yeah, is it water with poison that they have spikes. in it now? Or yeah, is it is it not with water? Is it just with spikes or whatever it is for the for the moat? I mean, are moats part of your defense? Are watchtowers part of your defense? We talked about that that village that has just the stone walls to keep animals in. Well, maybe. The reason they don't have a big wall is because they can't afford it because they're just simple farmers. But maybe they have some sort of watchtower. Yeah, they could erect a like, watchtower. Even if it's maybe the church tower. Yeah. They just go in and they keep somebody or you on have watch. two guards, one in each watchtower or whatever. Yeah. orcs are a real thing. And yeah. so they have to keep watch over it. So, Or do they have, like you said, is it a really big city where every couple hundred feet yeah, all on the wall there's a watchtower? Yeah. That's so manned this, with like four people yeah, or something like no that. There's no sneaking out or sneaking into the city without the guards knowing. Right. But going along with that, speaking about Helm's Deep, are there natural formations? Or is the city built into the side of a mountain? Is it built into a valley? Is it built on the edge of a waterfall? A river going through a city is going to add to transportation. It's going to add to checkpoints, things like that. It's going to add to the different uh, economy of the place. It, like Natural formations are going to add uh, to the protection and to the transportation through your city as yeah. well. Yep. Uh, you also got to think through patrols. Are there people patrolling the outside of the walls? Are there people patrolling on top of the walls for bigger cities? Is it something that there's a patrol that goes out maybe three or four miles and then comes back down the road? Or, you know, how, how do patrols work? That's a That could be a big part of protection. I, I think that one's more towards the larger side of cities, I would think. But you might even have that one farmer that's really skeptical of people in a city that's like, I'm doing patrols out into the yeah. woods or whatever. Well, you even know? in the smaller cities, that might be one of the things that your PCs become aware of. Well, there's patrols, but it's almost like a laughable kind of like, right, oh, these right. small town, town guardsmen are not very good. Right. You know, yeah. you're able to throw a rock and they're like, what was that over there? And yeah. you just sneak around yeah. them. Like, but then you go to a big city and the guards are well trained and there's more of them and they're yeah, you piss them off, you're actually going to jail. Strictly. Yeah, and so they're not going to just be like, "Oh, he fell asleep on his job." They might, but uh, not if there's ten people on patrol. That guy's not falling. Yeah, asleep. more times than not, if you run into a patrol in a smaller city, if you're like, if you're a higher up level characters, you're probably going to intimidate the crap out of whoever you're coming up against. Larger cities, that's not going to happen. You're probably going to end up in jail if you try to intimidate somebody. So protection and entrances are definitely something that you need. To think through, that could add a, a, a cool element to your cities. This is this next point is something that, Chris, you and me have talked about recently with all yeah. the crafting that's been going on with our PCs, uh, our other <laughs> other players in the group uh, right. who are loving crafting now. Um, but, yeah, so, like, what is the economy like of the city? And this is something that is a – I think is a something that you definitely need to think about, even in the sense of what can the PCs buy in this city? Yeah. It's going to be hugely dependent on size. Like uh, a small hamlet is not going to be somewhere you're going to go to a blacksmith and be like, hey, can I get a 
plus, you know, whatever sword of, of this, like, they're not going to have They're probably it. not even going to have a plus yeah, anything they're sword. they're like, uh, you mean a pitchfork? Like, oh, you mean this negative four because I suck at crafting yeah, like, weapons? I have one sword that I built for myself to, right. to ward off, like, thieves. Right. Like, But then you go to a huge metropolis, and you're going to go to, a, like, magic stores where they have just the craziest things you've never seen before. Yeah imports from other lands and cities and so economy definitely plays a part and so one thing you want to think about it is what is the main point of economy or is there many for the settlement that you're in there's a bunch of options and even more than the real world because we're living in a world with magic but the first one is is their economy built off of some sort of crafting like do they make some sort of good and what kind of good is that is it mundane is it magical is it weapons is it jewelry i mean anything like that yeah yeah. like is it a crafting city is that something and then they will export it to other countries and other cities around the world like people go to the city because they make this item the best right and i think the places that craft things always have to go to the next type of city the trade center city where it's like this is this is a place where a lot of countries come together because it's at a point in the map that's pretty important point. It's a, in between a bunch of different major cities, and it's a trade center where you have exotic animals, and you have jewelry from far-off lands. You have magical items from far-off lands. I think this might be the one exception to the rule of, like, metropolises have large things. You could have a smaller city that people don't necessarily live in a lot. But it has a lot of trade that goes on, and you might be able to find a lot of different items. Trade centers can be a really cool place, I think. Is this main point of the economy, the agriculture there, is this one of those farming villages in which they grow crops and ship them off? Or are they just a self-sustained place where they they grow their food? They don't interact much with the other world. Do they raise horses or other kind of animals? There's a town right outside of the capital of Shemesh of Arganmore that it's a very small town and Pretty much all they do is they raise horses for the Knights of Shemesh and other merchants that would need horses to travel. So they're not rolling in the dough, but they're they're able to sustain themselves and make a living off of their horse ranches. Yeah, I think natural resources play a huge role into this as well. Yes. I mean, a lot of cities in, in the United States were based off of this type of And this material. goes back to our first point of where is your city located? Yeah. What are the natural resources? Yeah. Mountain or mountain, woods? Lumber, Lumber yeah. obviously, yeah. And and even then, if you're so diverse in your world building that you're like, well, there's different types of lumber and like different exactly. places need types of different lumber, you know? So you could do things like that. Is it, you know, natural resources thinking of like fishing or something like that? It can be like agriculture or natural resources, but is fishing a big one? Is gold a big one or something like, you know, I mean, anywhere in your world where there's natural resources, there's probably, town, exactly, yeah, yeah, there's probably going to be cities that are harvesting the natural resources. Also, going past natural resources, what about magical resources? D&D takes place in a world where magic is a prevalent and normal thing. And so are there magical resources that they go beyond that natural resources thing and they – so there's magical resources that whether that's different kinds of gems that have power that are in a specific mountain, well, a whole town could be built off of that mining of these gems and – you got to think with magical resources, even if there's not a lot of that, the price, the supply and demand. It's going to be enough resource, to sustain yeah. that city. Yeah. So they might just devote a ton of their effort to a small amount of resources because those resources get the big bucks. Oh, yeah. Magic resources could be used in the next one, magic itself. I mean, you might have wizards that are a part of a city that 
are in charge of enchanting weapons, making those magical weapons with whatever enchantments you could come up with. I mean, that's that's a whole nother episode in and of itself to talk about, like, what are some magic things that you could create? Or, I mean, makeup that's not even Dungeons & Dragons related to add to your campaign. But they could make these crazy cool weapons that they enchanted. They could sell, I mean, scrolls or... Are they teaching people how, like selling their their own knowledge for that type of stuff for for magic? So there's there's a lot of things that you could do with magic itself. Very powerful wizards can transform rock into gold. Yeah, that's gonna yeah. off off put the whole economy yeah. in that kind of oh, city yeah. if gold is a normal thing. <laughs> like, oh yeah. Uh, and the last thing that we have here is a religious form of an economy. You can have a city that's built off of like maybe the temple is the main point of that city's wealth. And it's like people, the main temple to a god and yep, people travel there for People it. go there and they get healing or there's gods in D&D that are gods of trading and and business and maybe that's the marketplace. <laughs> so yeah. maybe that's a trade city but it's built around a temple. But yeah, you could have a temple that people go to this temple from all around the world and it helps the city flourish because they have the best healers or they're able to creating miracles from one God that nobody else seems to be able to do. So religion can play a huge part in the economy as well. The next thing that we have here is city alignment. And what we mean by that is there are some people who will make cities and give their cities an alignment, such as a, a lawful evil city would be not the best place to live, strict laws, but ruled by somebody. And I think that's that's kind of the key here is, who is ruling the city? What kind of government is in place? That's something we could spend a whole entire episode on. There's a lot of things in this yeah. episode that we could we spend a whole lot. We will spend yeah. a whole th- entire episode talking about government and how you can use that in D&D. So we're not going to go too into that. But when you're creating cities, think about what the government is the land of the land is and how that affects your city. I mean, if there's a republic, maybe you have like a council area where all the representatives come to. If it's a monarchy system, where's the castle at for the lord or the king? of right. this town like right. or this country like where is that so that's going to add to your city as well and add to a lot of the aspects of law enforcement protection things like that the king of a land is not going to care about putting that huge wall up around for the other town he's going to be like ah i have the best wall i'm here i'm the most important so well, I, I think really of like i think of like small cities too as far as got like villages or hamlets or thorpes it's like you have 50 people to 100 people is there one person in charge are they good or are they corrupt you know do they do they just absolutely i mean is it a place where it's like they control everything so much to the point where it's like the poor people can't get out because they can't afford to move, and so they have to stay here and work for the corrupt leader who runs the city of 150 people. So there's a ton of things that you could go into as far as government. All right, so the next thing that we want to talk about is when it comes to your cities, what races are in your cities? This is going to play a huge part, what races are in your cities that you're building and how they view other races. So the first option would clearly be a one-race type of settlement. Human settlement, it's primarily humans. Perhaps there's a couple other races that are part of it, but it's a very small percentage of other races of mixed Yeah, I see those like the single-race cities being smaller for the most part. At least in my world, they're mostly set up as like the small cities are usually like they're all humans. They're all halflings. Once you get bigger, depending on what race it is, they're a little bit more mixed. But I think it depends. You could have huge settlements of like dwarves like underground because 
elves are primarily not going to want to move humans underground. Probably aren't gonna humans probably going to want to live underground. Humans not as much. Yeah. Uh, I think it depends. I understand completely what you're saying. It also depends on that ideology of the race, right? Right. Because they're sometimes humans. You get the in fantasy worlds the worst side of humans, then they're racist, and so they're not even going right. to let other races in. So you can have huge human settlements that aren't going to let other races in. But then you have settlements, whoever started it, that uh, maybe they're extremely welcoming, and so they want to even just diversify. And, hey, we want elves to come in because, well, elves are really sweet at making masterwork bows. Hey, we want dwarves to come in because, well, they can craft really well. Those gnomes are really smart. Bring them in so they can teach us about magic, whatever it is. Uh, And just seeing the benefits of having different kinds of races. You also have to realize that mixes of races could also be with different sorts of class level and stuff. With Maybe this city is 90% human and 10% elf. But the 10% elf is all slaves. And that's that's where the mix comes in. Both the mix of races and what that mix is because will play a huge part in the culture of your city. A city with that 10% of elves that are all slaves well that's probably not going to be your favorite city if you're a pc and you're an elf and you head there yeah in especially fact, you might yeah. run into some huge problems you might become somebody that's solely focused on liberation of yeah. slavery in that city or perhaps the other pcs have to pretend that you're their slave <laughs> yeah depending on how like far down the line they are of that racism slavery yeah. type uh, aspect yeah some cities are going to be extremely welcoming and so it doesn't matter what race you're going to be they're going to be They're going to treat you normally. They're not going to look at you like you're weird. But that's another point. Like a huge city of humans is going to look very strange at certain creatures that they haven't seen before. Even if they're not a really racist group of people, like if they've never seen this, if they've never seen a dwarf before, they're going to look at him like he's weird. Oh, yeah. Yeah, very much so. So in our world, there's these things that are laws and we would I think we would consider them like specific laws to it to an area. Like, they're kind of weird sometimes. They're kind of not weird. Like, I know right now, like, in America, there's, like, the laws of whether marijuana is illegal in, like, specific states or whatever. And so that might be one that's, like, a specific law. Or cities might have these specific laws dealing with specific situations that they've run into. And, like, I think it was Michigan back in the day had one, like, it's illegal to tie your pet crocodile to, like, a fire hydrant or something. Because it's, like... Somebody apparently did that at one point in time, and they had to make a specific law They about have those that. awesome books out there that you yeah. can find of, like, weird laws yeah. that each city has. I think New York City, like, if you sell pickles, they had to bounce. And I, it's always <laughs> funny because it's like, so what, like, I just imagine, like, people in, like, a grocery store, like, all right, check out those pickles before you sell, and yeah. just throwing them on the floor. Yeah, right, see if, see they, if bounce. they actually like, bounce Clearly nobody not. does that. But, yeah, like, so, like, weird, there's weird laws in different cities. Yeah, there's one in the 3.5 DMG that says, anyone wearing red in the sight of the emperor is in prison for one one month it's like what the why yeah. is there a rule about that, that type has of to thing? be there for a reason yeah there's and a specific part of the story interesting behind thing that. is you could have you could have a story from wherever you're at the city the settlement you're in and make a weird law and come up with this weird story why that law that weird law is in place one of the best parts about this is your players might actually be the reason that a law is created that because or, players always try to find reasons yeah to mess up different things yeah it's like in football they have like specific rules they have like nicknames or whatever for the people that came up that did the or the penalty that is now a a foul but it's like what if your players don't know about those specific rules like the one that they're wearing red one of your players has red entering the city doesn't know your character is now imprisoned for a month 
that could create some very interesting role-playing scenarios. Like, do your players now have to break the character out of jail? If they break the character out of jail, now they're wanted people in this city and they can no longer go back to this city. So it, it could some of those specific rules you could make just to see if your players break them for some reason to add those interesting yeah. story elements to it. Another element to that would be different degrees of punishment. Like how yeah. strict is the punishment for the laws that are broken? We played in the Sons of Bastion campaign and the big bad was besides Karth Stromdell, the evil wizard, was the Utopian Empire. Oh, yeah. And they called themselves the Utopian Empire because there really wasn't a lot of crime because it doesn't matter what crime you committed, you were pretty much sentenced to prison for life or just executed. So it'd be like you steal an apple because you're hungry. Well, prison Sorry. for life. Like, yeah. And so nobody tried to commit crimes really because these terrible examples of what, and that was an extreme and a terrible extreme. Hopefully nobody listening is like, yes, yeah, <laughs> throw those people yeah, in jail. Right. But you know, you can have a city like that. That's like, we don't want to deal with crime. So what are we going to do? Worst punishments ever. Well, it's like Les Mis, where the guy gets thrown in jail for like 30 years or something yeah. for stealing a piece of bread. It's like, that could that could add some really interesting elements, like with the Utopian Empire, yeah. <laughs> and some terrible elements with your players going. Like, oh, yeah. Let's see how far I can push this. Yeah, yeah. All right, so now let's talk about how the culture of your city changes. We've talked about it a little bit already, but let's talk specifically about how the culture of your city changes with certain elements depending on size and population. We talked about size and population. So how does it differ when we're talking about a small hamlet to a bustling metropolis for different elements of your city? The first one, I think, is what is the feel of the city as far as how well you're known? Or anybody's known. Or anybody's known. Like in a hamlet, if you're dealing with like 45 people, you might know quite a few people. You live like, there your whole life. You're probably yeah. going to know. It's going to be like Cheers. Sometimes you want to go where everybody. Yeah, I was just thinking. Of, I, I I was thinking of that. Like sometimes you just want to go where yeah. everybody knows your name. Like uh, enter Cheers yeah. theme song here. You oh, know? it'll be here. Oh, it'll be here. Yeah. And they're always glad you came. Or is it to the point where it's a metropolis where it's like? I mean, you're from. You're not from New York City itself. You're from Long Island, but. You go into downtown Manhattan, you may see somebody and never see them again. Exactly. Like, yep. is that what you're going to run Strangers into in a metropolis? Everywhere. And it changes the way that people react to each other, too. Oh, yeah. Is, uh, like, you got that Hamlet, and y you've got people that are lifelong friends, almost like family, even if they're not family, because they live in the same town and they know each other the entire life. That being said, that it can also go the wrong way, and you can have family feuds where it's like the whole know, city is divided. Yeah, 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 the whole, the, like, yeah, you, you go to the town meetings and it's literally the town is made up of family one and family two and they're just constantly bickering yeah. <laughs> like a tale of two families yeah. in one in yeah. one hamlet uh, but then you go to a bustling metropolis and you've got that new york like speaking of new york like you walk down the city there nobody's looking at you nobody it's like the the rule of thumb is don't look at the people you're passing don't keep eye eye contact. We you were can told tell that, the people yeah. who are who live there and the people who are tourists because they're looking up to the buildings and whoa. And, I and I, I was not, told like, that when you I just went to see New York. People just walk past. They'll knock into you. No, sorry. Just like that's what it is. Yeah. I was told that in New York, like people don't look at you. So I was like, I was like tenth grade or something. <laughs> I like purposely looked at like everybody that I walked by in Times Square just to see like who would actually. But then make you're eye eventually going to get that one person who's a crazy guy that's going to start screaming at you like, "What are you looking yeah, at?" Because you, you got those guys in <laughs> yeah. New York City too. You're yeah. going to have crazy people yeah. and things but like you, that. I mean, going along with the the size like that, um, you could 
you know, smaller cities, are they really welcoming because they're so small? They're just extremely friendly. Or is it the reverse side of that where it's like, they're so small and they're skeptical of anybody that comes in from the outside. You know, you could have that too. Yeah. Like, Oh, you can have that one. Like a visitor. Like we haven't had a visitor in a while. Come stay in our inn. It doesn't cost you anything to stay here. um, Yeah. Like the inn is, the inn is full. Yeah. You're like, what are you talking about? The inn's full. (laughs) Like, which would be so funny. Why would you run an inn in a skeptical town? Like like you make no money. Yeah. (laughs) It's like for out of town friends or something like that. It's like, it's like the guy who inherited the inn from his dad or something like that. Who's just like, I hate everybody. Don't come here. (laughs) Yeah. Going along with that, like you can almost have this like in a very small town, you could have this laid back feeling to whether that's government or how the town is run. Uh, But then the higher up with population you go, the more there is a need for structure. And so the more there's this formality behind things. We talked about like a village meeting. Well, it could just be like little town meetings with a couple families. And so they get together, they have food. Uh, my wife watches Gilmore Girls. Oh, yeah. Uh, she loves that show. And yeah. so my you know, fiance I'll, loves I'll that be show sitting too. on the couch with my Wii U playing stuff, and I'll, I'll, I'll watch it while it's on. And I'll, like they have their little town meetings. Everybody listening is like, Gilmore Girls. But like they have I have Twilight. You have Gilmore know, Girls. Yeah, everybody, I don't like the show. <laughs> my wife loves it. Liar. But so, um, I don't, uh, but so like there's everybody in the town meeting like knows each other's names and they'll it goes from meeting to meeting and they're making fun of each other because they know each other yeah they have different uh talking about those family feuds you go to a huge metropolis and we're talking like government the council of the grand court meeting super formal they've got robes they've got agendas they've got a secretary like it's not that like laid back feeling it's now very very formal very very structured that's going to be different when it comes to at different times you get in trouble in a small town you're gonna appear before a, sh- a small town sheriff and everybody's gonna know you yeah, at that point in time exactly. yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah and they're not gonna want to like sell you things or anything but you go to a huge city and the punishment and the way they deal with it is gonna be more structured and probably more severe but you get out of jail and you can go around the city and like yeah, you're you said, putting like, the stockade not and you everybody's have people, gonna unless you yeah. did something really bad like that your poster was up everywhere and everybody knew about it like you're you're gonna be able to walk around. It's yeah, fine. I mean, even if you're like putting stockades in a major city, people are gonna throw things at you. Yeah, and they're not gonna know who you are. Yeah, so. you're. We threw tomatoes at the guy yesterday too. Like, yeah, you're just another. Yeah, case. you're just another another criminal yep. sitting there on the. Yeah. Uh, so going along with this whole crime and population, that plays a, a huge hand. When the higher in population you get, the more there's going to be crime. The more criminals are going to be in the city going along with that, the more there's going to be a need for the hand of the law and the strictness that comes down with that. I think, too, with crime and population, the varying severity, I mean, the severity varies greatly as far as what types of things are happening in a smaller hamlet or Thorpe. Murder might not be the thing that you're worrying about. You may worry about somebody vandalizing somebody else's crop so they can make a little bit more money or something like that. Yeah. That's basically murder in in a small city, (laughs) but in a major city, you're going to deal with things like people are stealing magical items from a shop or they're, you know, they're, murdering the emperor of the city. I mean, you're going to deal with very murder in a small town would be a huge, oh, it'd be deal. A huge deal. Whereas yeah. in a city, it's like happens every day. Yeah, it happens man. every day. Yeah. Like it's still so it's going to be varying severities. Involved, it's going to be varying severities, but it's also going to be like how well publicized is all of this too, you know? And so going along with that, I think something that has benefited me when I'm thinking about size of a town and the different kind of law enforcement there is, is 
with players, you always have players that are getting into trouble and every DM has probably come to a point where they've said, if you've DM'd long enough, gone, I got to send this player to jail. <laughs> There's no way around it. They got to go to prison. Right Now, I've been on both ends of the spectrum as a player and as a DM and you throw those players in jail and, oh, yeah, they're a magic user. Well, they start using magic to escape. Right. <laughs> and so here's the thing. In a small hamlet, it makes a lot of sense and probably pretty easy for that spellcaster to break out of jail. Well, it might just be easy in general to break yeah, out of jail. Exactly. We don't have a prison. Where do we put them? Talk we put them in the rogue, barn. That you know? rogue with uh, open lock skills and stuff. They're maybe going to be able to sneak something in to be able to open the locks. Now, the higher up you go, they've seen this before in huge metropolises. So they're going to strip search you completely. They're going to make sure that you're not getting anything as a rogue to escape it's right. going to be super hard to escape from like a maximum security prison going along with that if there's magic in the world there's going to be things to damper that magic and they know that people can use magic so these metropolises aren't going to be easy even for a magician yeah so some things that i've they're like uh, magic free zones or whatever whatever exactly. they use to do that exactly yeah. and that's that's what i've added into like my campaigns with that like the bigger the city the more that they're going to be prepared for those magicians who think they can get out of yeah your sorcerer so, tries to do something it's like well you do everything yeah. and nothing works so not only do they have handcuffs put on them when they go into jail but they'll maybe have a collar or handcuffs that are power dampeners and so it will stop them from being able to use any of their powers if it's a wizard they might have something covering their mouth so they can't say you know the verbal portion of it locking their hands together yep. so that only the most powerful wizards can actually do anything yep. but even with like a collar that just stops the power like that's just negates it right yeah. there so a wizard that thinks i'll just get thrown in jail and i'll just use fireball to get out well once they slap those things in them crap, sorry I can't no you can't that. yeah going along with that why wouldn't a big prison hire a wizard as a guard as well scrying yeah. wizards they have like uh, we talked about in the episode robbery of monsters little eyeball beholders oh, yeah, yeah. they have little eyeball beholders scrying the entire like place like moving around no watchdogs needed we have watch eyeballs right <laughs> right know? and here's the thing if it's a metropolis they're probably gonna have a nice level 20 wizard so probably, do you really want to yeah. escape mr level five do you really want to try and go up against that level 20 wizard that would not be that great <laughs> even if he rolls bad he's still gonna kill you <laughs> you can use technology depending on the timeline of your world to like they have different technological advances to keep in prisoners and such like that. Do they send you off to a prison that's on an island so if you escape, you have so much water to get past? Right. Uh, or is it like in another dimension? Like how powerful, how big is the city, how much magic do they have access to? All these different things with law enforcement. And the higher up you go as far as population, the more town guards, like we said earlier on, there's going to be, the better trained they're going to be military it changes everything that might be an interesting one if you were to throw like people into a different dimension and you don't take things away from it's like hey you're in prison in a different dimension like, yeah. you're not ever getting out of here so your stuff is absolutely worthless to you here there's a country in my world where they send all of their prisoners to this island prison and it's just this island with huge walls built around it and this is where they also ship all of their werewolves and vampires. Oh, nice. So <laughs> it's pretty terrible if you were like a thief and you get sent. They just shoot you off in this boat and you get onto this island. They lock the gate behind you 
And then it's just like, all right, we're done dealing with you. <laughs> like, have fun. You can't get out of there. You're so. either going to become a werewolf or a vampire. Where do you want to? <laughs> what gang do you want to be a part of? Well, or they're just it's like Twilight Island. For or you. they're just going to completely eat you. And, yeah, that's you. Yeah, it's it's like inside the vampires and the werewolves are having a great time because they're loving the, the powerful free food. ones. They're like, there's this chain of like yeah. command and. So that's not the prison you want to go to. Yeah, <laughs> I think with, with any city, too, you have to think through. We've talked about this a little bit with markets and craftsmanship. But if you come up against like a Thorpe or a, or a Hamlet, odds are you're not going to find a magical weapon. Or if you do, it's going to be somebody that's like, they're not going to sell this thing. Like it's been a family heirloom yeah. passed down from generation to generation to generation. You'd be hard pressed to find anything in those places that's anything better than a normal weapon. In metropolises, on the other hand, you could find probably all sorts of different things. This is something that I've been doing a little bit more because we recently went to another country of mine, Cremor, and we came up to a city, and, and I think it was Crax, Mark's character, that was like, I want to go shopping and see what they have. I was like, all right, you find various mundane items. And he's like, wait, they don't have magical items? I was like, no. You are in a very small, small city. Town. Like yeah. you're, you're not just going to be able to come up against and find whatever item you want. And so, I mean, you can do this however you want. You can come, like, prepared with, oh, you're going to be in a small city. Well, they might have five different magical items or whatever, with the, or ten or whatever, and just have, you can either roll it on a random chart for the magical item, whatever it is, and that might play an interesting role, too. Well, I'm looking for the specific longsword plus one. Well, that's not what we have, but, and then you roll something. These are what I have instead, and it might create some interesting opportunities for your players as well. So... That's something to think through. Market goods and, and craftsmanship within the city varying on size. Think about how your adventures are received in the town that doesn't have like magical items. Well, if your adventurers come into town and they're covered in magical items in a hamlet, it's going to be like, whoa, you see those adventures? The little kids, kids are, are going to come yeah, running out. Kids yeah. are chasing after them like, can I touch your sword? Like, oh, that's so cool. Like, what's that glowing cape you have? Like, that helmet is awesome. And like, you might have like the blacksmith being like, uh, you selling that? Like, yeah, right. Yeah, you go to a a metropolis. You're just another face in the crowd. Oh like, yeah, there's a, you're there's gonna be seeing other adventures with magical items better than you and such like that. Another aspect of when you go up in population, something that changes is the poverty yeah. in the city and how that settlement is affected by poverty. You go to the hamlet once again, and a small town that's very close. You might have like the town bum that doesn't. That's have Joel, a, the yeah, town drunk. The, the town <laughs> drunk doesn't have a home. But you might even like in a small town like that have like town meetings like who's gonna take in who's gonna take in Joel who's gonna give him his barn this week yeah like who's gonna help him out like I guess I'll do it this week who's gonna let him shovel the poop so he can have a place to stay and there might be this caring aspect there might be small towns like we said can also be extremely like get out you're not one of us but there also could be really kind small towns that like they're like family and they'll they'll help you out but then. The higher up you go with population, there's going to probably be more homeless people. There's going to be more poverty. There's going to be slums, depending on where you are. And how does your town deal with that? A lot of the times when the population goes up, it becomes very commonplace to see poverty. And so the people who live there, a lot of times, will just try to ignore it. Like, we're talking like real world right now, too. Oh, yeah. So uh, you can have people that just walk past people who don't have homes every day. And maybe your adventure is like are super nice and give him like 10 pieces of gold, which is enough for him to go and like 10 pieces of gold. Like that's more than like two years wages. That's awesome. So your heroes can be quite the benefactors for like people who are in poverty and help them out. Poverty in a place changes. If there's temples in a city, 
Uh, are they going out and helping the poor? If you you have PCs who worship a certain god, and that temple in that city is like, he goes and visits that temple, and they're like, oh, we're going out to feed the poor. You're coming with us, right? Yeah. It looks like you're pretty wealthy. You're going to come help us, right? <laughs> like, uh, what's that player going to say then? Uh, nah, kinda... I want to keep my Yeah, role right. Play. But like, if they want to role play, well, like, I think if they really worship a god that would care about those things, they should go out and be in touch with the poverty in the cities and helping them out. Uh, but yeah, poverty and population, it plays hand in hand. Uh, the more you got population, the more you got Well, with population, too, you have things like crowds. I mean, anytime you go to a city, for example, New York City again, you run into crowds quite often. I mean, during the daytime, especially, you run into crowds. Like, Times Square can be crazy. But I mean, and, like, I went to Europe a couple years ago, and there's like, you walk through alleyways, some of the alleyways with shops, and you're bumping into people all the time. So it's like, the narrower the roads in the city... If it's leading to a major area, it might be crowded. And so you could run into interesting things to do with your character. Say you have like a halfling character in your group, and this is a city of like humans, and your players are like walking around. They're normal size. Oh, yeah. It's like you you bumping into each other and you get knocked over one time. And like just for for story purposes, you're like, you're separated from the group now. Like, wait, what, hold on. I got to uh, pull my cell phone. Oh, wait. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, D &D. It's a, yeah. I'm lost. Yeah, right. In this metropolis. Right. You get because of this crowd. Yeah. Your halfling that's never been outside of wherever he's from before goes into a metropolis and sees all these signs like he's like looking around and then he gets like caught up in it and all of a sudden looks back. It's like, oh, crap. Where did my group go? And then you have a whole interesting predicament of like, all right. Me as the DM, I know where you guys are in the city. Now you have to find each other because you have no idea where each other are. Or going along that same route with a halfling in a city full of taller people. Like if he's a rogue, pickpocket oh, and yeah. then disappear into a crowd. And that can go either way for your PCs or against your PCs. Crowds could be a great thing yeah. for your PCs and too. And what happens if your PCs are like, well, I want to attack somebody. Like some kind of encounter happens. Well, your wizard's not going to want to shoot fireball. Probably when there's not. tons of people around. Unless he's crazy. It changes that dynamic of battle and encounters if there's tons of just regular common people around. Oh, yeah. Crowds can totally be an obstacle or can even help in some instances. Yeah, of very much can. City. So now we're going to talk about just some specific places and characteristics to give you some ideas and inspirations for your city and your settlements that can add flavor specific to a city for you and your world. So the first thing we want to talk about is you want to talk about temples and churches. Temples are something that are going to draw in worshipers for a city. Like if, if there's a temple to cord in a city, well, that's going to change the whole culture. There's going to be arenas. There's going to be people going to this temple of cord who are warriors, temple to Pelor. There's, they're going to be concerned about the poverty. There are going to be tons of Pelor worshipers throughout the city. Whatever temple you put in that city, realize that that means that there's going to be worshipers of that temple. And that and could that shape God. the whole way your city plays out, too. I mean, religion in and of itself has a very powerful effect on people. If it's like a major temple to Pelor, for example, it might be more of a generous city that you're going to be dealing with. So those religious centers can add a lot to a city. Flip side of those, you have cults. Which in smaller cities you might not have to deal with as much, or you or could. in a small hamlet, maybe you find out the whole town, the whole is, town a is a cult. Yeah. <laughs> What's that movie? Hot Fuzz. You got oh that yeah, yeah, yeah. Crazy. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and you could have like cults to like well-known evil gods within major cities, where it's like the government knows about them. Spread out all across the city, throughout the whole city, it's like an underground cult that like it's those things that they're trying to eradicate but can't. And it still always keeps popping up. You could also have small time cults that it's just like, 
oh, they're the hot new thing on the market right now. And it's like, well, they might not last or they might last and they might work themselves out. Cults to a god that is in no other city, no other town ever because they just somebody in that group just made them up. And that's how cults work. Like somebody makes something up and then there's a bunch of people who go, I'll follow that and I'll believe that. I just watched Dude, Where's My Car with Zoltan. Remember that? (laughs) Have you seen that movie? No, I haven't. Oh my gosh, I saw it the other day and it's like these guys walking around in like these fancy space suits made out of like bubble wrap or whatever. I'm just like, that's totally like a cult type thing. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, cults can, cults could be the agents of changes within a city too. So at specific points in time in your world, cults may play a major role in one of your cities that it's like they somehow infiltrated the government of the city and now the cult yeah. has won out. So cults can play a that huge could be a role. whole adventure for your characters finding these cults and trying to eradicate them. Right. Going along with different buildings and aspects of a city, universities, uh, schools, things like that, adding that to a city would once again, just like a temple draws in a certain type of person, so will a university. You'll have students, teachers, people who want to learn. And in a fantasy campaign, well, you can have a university that's dedicated to a numerous amounts of things or specific to something. Yeah. Science, magic universities, medicine, scholarly, learning about history, law universities. And those types of universities are probably going to be placed in cities where there's other aspects. So a law university might be right next to the Temple of Heronius. Yeah, just to say that, Heronius. <laughs> and, yeah. and the government district. You yep. have a magic university. Well, realize that a magic university is going to have a lot of wizards and and sorcerers in it. Therefore, this city is probably one that it's pretty easy to go and find magic items and things like that. It adds to the culture. Yeah. And add a magic university into your city, and your players will not soon forget that the College of Magical Arts is in that city. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's They're going to run into some interesting things that will make them remember that city. If you're in major cities, you might have arenas within them. They could be huge arenas. And in small cities, you might have, like, somebody's barn is transformed into like a fighting pit or yeah. something like that. Like in a village of First rule 500 of Fight Club. people, you don't talk about Fight Club. It's like teenagers in the city are just like up to no good or yeah. something like that. And that goes along with like, is it a legit like fight, yeah. small fight club? Yeah. Is it a huge arena? Is it a legit small fight club? Is it a club? small one that you work clubs? your way up to the large one? Or, or is, is it underground? Illegal, yeah, yeah, illegal underground yep. fight club in different cities. Or is it not illegal? It's just underground so that it's the cool thing to do yeah. or whatever, you know? <laughs> they pretend like it's illegal to make it cooler. Yeah, well, or it's or it's just they're like, well, we don't want to go through all the hustle and bustle of the big part, so it's like 50 people or 30 people or whatever they get together. Private, private yeah, clubs. Yeah, private clubs, yeah, where it's where it's underneath a bar or something like that somewhere in your city. So arenas can be huge. I mean, you could you could create fun events within your arenas that even have nothing to do with fighting in general. I mean, they could just be a source of entertainment where they yeah. hold plays and things like that too. So you could do a number of things with yeah. arenas. Theaters. You can yeah. add a theater to your city. If you have a bard, they're probably going to want to go check out the theater and hear – Better be ready with some poems and some limericks for him because yeah, they'll, right. they'll go, oh, I want to hear the other people sing. So. Right, right. We come to one of my favorite things and something that I've added into a lot of cities and places in my world is guilds. Love guilds. Yep. And talking about like what kind of guilds can be in your city, you open up a whole number of doors. And when you talk about guilds, you can have mercenary guilds, fighting guilds, wizard, like magic guilds. Thieves guilds, bards guilds, like that. Maybe that theater is a place is where a the place bar, where it's bards, a bards hang guild. out. Yeah. yeah, traders and merchant guilds. So like a guild for all the merchants around the city, where they come and talk about how the government is taxing them and stuff right. like that. Uh, you could have hunters guilds, 
You could have guilds that are specific for monster slayers. So like that's their good time. And so well, what and in would, there you have like things like taxidermy and stuff yeah, like that. Well, that they you share go secrets into the, of, yeah. a monster slaying guild and there's just monsters heads on the walls. And it's like, Whoa, I want to be part of this group. Yeah. And then you could have arena guilds, groups of fighters that join together for specific competitions. So you could have like a bunch of these guilds that they all come together and they have like rivalries, but they don't like fight each other in the streets. Like they bring it to the arena and it's kind of this formal like rivalry for the arena. That's, Built around the temple to Kord. Like we talked about, all right. these aspects together make like a city have different characteristics. And all those types of guilds can be all placed in a, in different cities. And they, whether it's like a small guild that only one city has or does it spread around the country. Yeah, I mean, you, you talk about like people fighting against like guilds warring too. In a major city, you might have gangs that fight against each other too. I mean, you might have just... A group of people that are up to no good or they're up to a like a noble cause. I mean, I think of like Les Mis where they have the revolutionaries that are trying to overthrow the government. It's like you could have a gang that's trying to do that type of thing. Or you could have like gang wars where it's like two different gangs in a part of the city that's stricken with poverty are fighting over control of that area. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, there's there's a ton of different things like you, gangs are going to be very territorial. They're oh, yeah. Protect their very territory. So. If you create maps for your city, maybe you want to print out another map and like do a color chart where you select the different gang areas in the city and going along with those territories. Are they is there paid protection? In those, like, they're going to different shops. If you have a player that opens up a shop, like, does that gang pay a visit and say, hey, you better pay us? Or something bad might happen to your place, you yeah. know? If you pay us, we'll make sure that nothing happens. Well, or you have those things, too, like going back to the specific laws with people wearing specific colors. You're wearing a color and you're walking through the city. Yeah. You show up in the wrong part of town because you're wearing blue. It's like, well... Sorry, you you walked into the group that associates with the red color you're or getting whatever. Beaten up, and you're like, I just worship Procon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. That's why I wore blue. This is my first time in the city. What am I doing? <laughs> yeah, I mean, gangs could add a very interesting element to to any type of city. We talked about markets and black markets. Uh, yeah, as another yeah, aspect. the ones that sell uh, a shadier thing, yeah. aspect that you could add to a city. Like a shadier city is probably going to have some kind of black market where maybe like you want to go to a black market, but it's not going to be easily accessible. You're going to have to have an in. You're going to have to know somebody. You have to prove yourself to be able to access that black market. That might mean cheaper goods because, well, where do those goods come from? They're probably stolen goods. Stolen or whatever, It yeah. could be goods that are not something that would be sold in a shop because of the morality behind the good. They could be evil items and such. And the black market is, hey, if I'm making money, I'm cool with selling it. Yeah, and those evil items are not necessarily going to be found out in the open to begin with so they would have to be things that are sold yeah. in the black market it could also be like drugs and things like that the black market can have all different aspects adds the shady element to your city but different cities would be great for that kind of element too. well i mean you, you talk about where do people get the items from that are the hot items they could get them from like graveyards or catacombs or something that those are things that could add very interesting elements to any sort of city i mean in a city of twenty five thousand. How are people buried? Where are people buried? Small cities, they might bury their family members in the backyard or yeah. something like that. I mean, or next to the temple that they have there or whatever it is. Like you they have a graveyard a small outside. small town graveyard and compare that to like if you're ta- – I'm just going to bring it right back to New York again because we're talking big city. You pass the graveyards there. Holy cow. It's just like – it's incredible how oh, many yeah. graves there are. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you think too like – those places are perfect. I mean, for like, if you're in a richer part, 
that you're going to have to worry about grave robbers coming into these graveyards to buy the or to steal these hot items or whatever. You also have graveyards are known for being a little bit mysterious and creepy. And so cults might find their ways into the graveyards, whether it's like they're trying to raise the dead or whatever to be a part of the cult. Right for the picking. Yeah, (laughs) right, right. So it's like, I mean, you might find necromancy cults or whatever just in the graveyards. I mean, little Billy goes to visit his grandpa, and his grandpa's not there anymore. You know, it's like these weird little his things gran- that happen. He sees his grandpa. He wants to hug his grandpa because his grandpa's apparently coming yeah, to hug him. Right, right. Don't hug Keep your Keep away, Billy. <laughs> yeah, right. But it's like, I mean, you also have the element of major cities. What do they do with the homeless that die? You know, what do they yeah. do with the poor that die? Do they burn the bodies? Do they send them down the river away i mean what do they do with yeah, those types of bodies the graveyards maybe there isn't a group maybe that's do they the just city. stay in the street if it's built I mean, on a river maybe they have like viking type funeral where they just send them down the river yeah i'd like to find out where that river ends oh my gosh <laughs> hopefully it it's doesn't another town they're like where are these dead yeah, bodies it like ends from? in like that's like what they do like to piss off the neighbors down the <laughs> down the river they're yeah, like right? a lake town they just like float the bodies <laughs> down into the lake and they gotcha. just like start filling up the lake it's really gross, but they, you could do that. Uh, another part of a city that is going to add life and different uh, type of culture is if you're a port city, well, clearly you're going to have part of the city where there's docks, which means that you constantly will have foreigners maybe coming into your city from different worlds, uh, which means different races. You can have imports and exports. This would be probably a port city would be a good trading city. Yeah. Another really great part of a port city is it gives you as a dm a place that if you want to give your players the option well this would be a place where you could leave and travel to another land in your world you can pay for to either purchase a ship of your own or travel on a ship well and i think too something that i would think of is like what does this place smell like a port like there's a whole bunch of interesting things that's going to happen there i mean you got if it's on like a, a salt water, you got the sea smell that you might be able to describe to your players. Like this is what you smell. If it's more of like a fishery, you're going to smell like dead fish or fresh fish or whatever you're smelling. If it's like a, if you walk past a ship that has exotic animals, you might smell manure or something like that going through this place. So you got some interesting elements that you could add in for aesthetic purposes yeah. to. And exotic animals. Way to tie in the next one. Yeah, yeah. Animal training and selling in a city. If you add that in, like, you can have a place that trains animals. You could have a place that sells animals. You guys went to, in South Far, there was this exotic animal emporium. Yeah. And it had animals that were local to the country of Shemesh. But then it had all these other weird animals, like a blue toad. Yeah. And I think you saw a pony, right? You almost bought this pony that had fire as its main. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't know it was fire as its main. I thought you said it was like red like fire as the main. That would have been so cool to buy. I think that's what I did say. That was a long time ago. I I actually found like actual creatures. Well, when we go back, I'm totally buying that horse. I want (laughs) freaking Rapidash as my my mount. Oh, Rapidash. (laughs) You go to a place and it's going to have like exotic animals and local animals. Well, that's of interest to your players because... Especially like exotic animals. Like Rick's bought a an otter, like a yeah. an otter that's a, a huge otter. Yeah, like it's like a medium, medium, medium creature, size, yeah. which he rides on the back of a combat trained otter yeah. now for into battle, which is sweet if he reaches a river. So yeah, really sweet. Yeah, um, you could also have things like libraries, where it's like if you have somebody that's like a wizard or something like that, or somebody that's really intelligent that needs to look up history on the city or whatever. Instead of trying to figure it out by asking people who might not have the best memory or 
whatever, you could go to a library. Now a smaller city is probably going to have a bookshelf maybe. Or nothing, yeah. or, or there's like some random person that's like, hey, I've collected like 30 books over my time. Feel free to read through them or whatever. Uh, or if you're in a major city, it's like pff, there's probably libraries that you could go to that have books about everything yeah, possible. And that might be you need some information for your campaign you're running and Maybe that's something that a player realizes. He's like, yeah. hey, I remember that this city had a library. And so they travel back to that city, reward them with some information. Well, like, you did that with Karab the other day with our campaign where you went and looked up the information on dragons because you're like, I'm you rewarded about that. Yeah. So, and yep. I was very happy with that. Yeah. I was like, I thought outside the box and you rewarded yeah. me. That's, yep. that's what you should do. Yep. Going along with libraries, you could also have museums in your world that a museum in a city might have some exotic or ancient artifacts, powerful things. And that could lead to maybe a heist campaign where you break into a museum where want to steal this sweet artifact or yeah. artifacts talking about security how well is that place secured if you have a deck of many things on display well somebody's probably watching that thing yeah that would probably be a good idea <laughs> you could have things like monuments in your worlds too where it's like if you have a large city there might be like a statue to the founder of the city or something like that. Or if, if it's a smaller city, you might have like a plaque or something like that that says we had a great warrior that came out of this city or, or something like that or the, the founder of that city too, yeah. So, I mean, you could have anything from like wartime, like veterans who now have their monuments. You could have somebody that first created the specific type of magical item within your city now has a monument. Yeah. Or, or I mean, you could create any sort of monument you, you want. Just, you just started getting into Game of Thrones, way to finally start watching it. Yeah. Nobody forgets the Colossus of Bravos, that huge statue that like ships go under of that yeah. giant warrior. Yeah. That's a monument that makes I that still want to know what happened to the end of his sword. Yeah. <laughs> That's a monument that makes that city remember like oh, you yeah. remember that. Yeah. Everybody remembers it's not a city, but you could have a city with something like that. Everybody remembers the the two kings, the statue of the two kings near Amon Hen in the Lord of the Rings. Oh, yeah. Like those huge Yeah, right at the end of the waterfall, yeah. yeah. Monuments can be something that makes a place memorable yeah going along with that the last thing that we have is rooftops and sewers both of these places under the city and on top of your city can be places for there to be a culture of their own i think most of the time with it being rooftops and cities well uh, it's probably going to be more of a shady culture uh, like this is where thieves hide this is where cults hide but of course, then you could add just some interesting things. Maybe there's maybe there's a rooftop marketplace, and that's where what yeah. the city has. Like it's at the tallest building, like in the city, you have a marketplace on top of this building, and so you're in the clouds when you're shopping. Yeah, so. is there? A, I mean, you could you could have some sort of like travel network too up there, where it's yeah. like you have planks from building to building, where people are just like. Forget all the traffic down below. I'm just walking over the top or whatever of the city. You know, I mean, there's a lot of different elements you could add into that. Or you could have zip lines. Yeah, yeah. zip lines would be cool too. So that is a lot of stuff for you guys to consider when you're dealing specifically with towns and cities. I don't think we can stress this enough, but towns and cities can add really interesting elements to your role-playing world because I think your characters spend a lot of time in cities, at least in, in, in our campaigns they do. And so why not? I mean, you're going to work on the outside of the city campaigns a lot because most of them you're going to have to travel for long periods of time. But why not focus on the cities that you deal with on a regular basis with your players? Because if you create an interesting culture there, your players are going to inevitably find interesting and cool things that they're going to remember about these cities forever. So I think spend the time that it takes to create an awesome and memorable cities with the tools that we kind of gave you here. And then let us know what you guys came up with if you have any interesting stories coming out of the other side of this. 
With that, we're going to head into the light bulb. Light bulb. All right, so for the light bulb this week, we have a pretty sweet idea. This kind of came from partially I've done something like this in my campaigns in the past, and it came to my mind because we actually started talking about it on our Google Plus Hangout with our Patreon Dragons, which happened just last night, at least when we recorded this episode. So, Chris, we're going to talk about something basically along the lines of a Pokédex, a monster book, or you could have it be a monster knowledge skill. Yep. with monsters. So yep. one of the things that I like to do is I like to add some knowledges that possibly aren't there. And so in the past, with the Sons of Bastion campaign, all the Sons of Bastion were trained in history growing up, basically put in classes for their classes. Yeah. <laughs> but all of them had general studies like history, monsters, technology. And so they, they learned different things. And so in the Sons of Bastion campaign, I had you guys like put a value a miscellaneous value into your skills. And I basically said, you decide what your character would be like. Was he a studious character? Did right. he listen in class? Did he do his homework? Did he study? Or was he the opposite? And so I said, from negative five to five, put it down. So we had some people that were like, my character's terrible in class. Yeah. So you get a negative five. So with the monster skill, basically what would happen is in the campaign, you guys would come up against a monster and I'd let you roll a monster knowledge. And depending on how well you did, you would get inside information on different tactics or ways to defeat the monster, like better ways to defeat the monster or something that you need to watch out about this monster. And so it was great for the people who were studious and like put more ranks into monster knowledge because they would find out like weaknesses and such like that and different attacks that really needed to watch out for. Uh, such as like we talked about tomb spiders like yeah some knowledge on a tomb spider when fighting it would be pretty useful yes, <laughs> like because there are some things be. you don't want yeah. the knowledge of knowing about the like switch of dark energy and like healing energy would be really helpful yes. for the healer yes but if you've got a really low roll i'd tell you something and i'd be like your character believes that this is and it's absolutely know, and it's wrong the complete yeah. opposite or just wrong so your character's running around doing yeah. ridiculous things but it was a lot of fun. What DM Main Prize brought up is that he talked about having a a monster book for like a character or the characters and basically that they got to take notes on monsters that they fight so they can learn different things as characters. Right. Because, you know, Chris, you and me have talked about before how as as DMs, it's kind of frustrating when players will know monsters because they've read the monster manual, which well, it's isn't hard really meant point. for a player. Yeah, it's it's hard meant at for that DMs. Point so if you're separate. DM, yeah. Player knowledge and exactly. character knowledge, yeah. If you're a DM and you're on the side of the table as a player, like it's you need to try and do a good job of separating what you know as a DM. But basically it's that's why I use homebrew creatures a lot, because I don't like the whole I know it's a zombie, I know exactly how to yeah. fight a zombie. I've started just changing things on yeah. regular monsters yeah. too, because it's just frustrating sometimes. Yeah. yeah. So with a with a monster book or a monster knowledge, basically you're making it make sense in the story context, yeah. and you're rewarding your players for learning things in game rather than reading up the things in their monster manual downloads from their computer. We also talked about possibly like somebody specializing in it, like that's yeah. their like niche thing that they want to do throughout the whole campaign. Maybe, yeah. yeah, and so like we, I I don't remember if it was I don't remember who brought it up, uh, but somebody was like, well, what if what if we rewarded them for possibly like studying orcs, maybe not orcs, but studying like a, a different creature than a humanoid and was like, hey, after we kill it, I dissect it a little bit. I figure out like 
where's the heart? So like as an archer, you could be like, hey, if the heart of this insect is here, aim for that spot. Maybe they exactly. get like a plus it, they get, to hit. It yeah. might be harder to hit, but if they hit it, More they do a lot of or damage something. or something yeah, like exactly. that. So you could have somebody that like specifically studies like the insides of these creatures or, or however they want to – I mean, however you want to homebrew this, yeah, do it. Ways you that... could you could reward your players for getting into their characters more, especially if they're like a beastmaster or whatever you want to call. Them, yeah, that type we of said character. this could work with a bunch of kind of characters. It could work with a druid type character yeah. who's interested in animals. It could work with a scientist type character who's interested in studying different species. It could work with a monster slayer, like you said, that wants to like learn how to kill things because he kills them for trophies. Right. It can work with just a ton of different type of PC, like player character types of if you even if you want to create a specific class for it. Yeah. I liked how we were joking around on the Google Plus Hangout that this was basically a Pokedex yeah. in D&D, D&D Pokedex, world. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty cool. But that's all we have for you for the light bulb this week. We thought this was a pretty sweet one. So either the a monster book, a monster book of monsters, or a monster knowledge skill would be something you could add into your campaign for your players. Well, that's all we have for you today on this episode of the Dungeon Master's Block. We hope that you enjoyed us talking about towns and cities and how to build them and how to add culture to them and make them different so you're not playing Assassin's Creed 1 where you're running around every single town. Or just always finding yourself stuck in an inn. Exactly. (laughs) But with that, Chris, why don't you tell them if they want to get in touch with us, where can they do that? Yeah, you can email us at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. Email us all of your stuff that's longer than 140 characters that doesn't fit on Twitter. But keep it to less than, like, five pages. Because <laughs> those are really, really long to read. We'll, we'll read them if regardless. You can't, but if, you can't, if you can't, you can't. You we can't understand. And we understand. Yep, we get it. Yep. We'll read them. Uh, also, if you haven't left us a review on iTunes, leave us a five-star review on iTunes. You'll get a shout-out at the beginning of the episode. And you can also find us on Stitcher for all you people of, that don't love iPhones. And leave us a review on Stitcher. Yeah, that works. We will read it yes. once we get them. You can follow us on Twitter at DMS underscore block. That's at DMS block. And you can like our Facebook page. Both those places have updates and awesome dungeon mastering stuff. We want to give a shout out to Carly Shields, who did the work on our Food Mage art. If you've seen that picture, it is awesome. Hashtag Food Mage. You can follow her on Twitter at Carly Shields, or you can check out her website at carlyshieldart.com. Go on over there, follow her on Twitter, let her know she did an amazing job on the food page. And she's working on some more, so more Carly Shield art to come. I'm excited for the next one. It's going to be sweet, so keep your eyes open for that. As we've had for the past couple weeks, Chris, we have a Patreon shout-out to do, so here's the drum roll, and our Patreon shout-out of the week goes to... Friar Took. Thank you so much, Friar Took. You You are awesome. Thanks for your support. Sorry we missed you last time. Yeah. yeah, uh, <laughs> Patreon the hangout. hangout next month, Hope buddy. Next family, month. But hey, thank better. you so much. Friar Took is a dreaded gold dragon. We fear you, Friar Took. Not dreaded. They're awesome. <laughs> awesome, but dreadful. Okay. Uh, so we we love you, Friar Took. Thank you for your support in our community and our podcast. Thanks so much. We hope that you enjoyed this episode of the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we focus on the most important person in the game, the Dungeon Master, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all the other people at the table. Have a good night, everyone. Keep on Dungeon Mastering.
Goodbye.